Hey everybody, welcome to this week's episode of the Liberty Squadron Podcast. My name is Andrew Lewinsky, and this week I am joined with Jonathan Lee. Hello everyone. Chris Apple. What's up? And Brett Freeman. Hi guys. Cool, well we're going to get a deep dive episode into the Nantex this week, but before we get into that, we're going to talk a little bit about just worlds, perhaps what we think is going to be like the top list, the top archetypes that are going to be presented. Um, I personally think that you might not see a lot of this in Swiss, but definitely these things are going going to be in the top cut of the thing. Um, so right off the bat, Jedi have been performing like super crazy well. There's no doubt that you're going to probably encounter Jedi in the Swiss, and they're going to be in the cut. Like absolutely no doubt. Um, Brett, you've been flying a lot of Jedi. You can attest to this. They're so strong. Force is the greatest thing ever if you don't want to have to play a hard game. Is that what this boils down to? Is that, like, I don't want to play the game, so I'm going to bring the easiest I don't want to fly list? <laughs> well, well, no, I mean, <laughs> like, it's it's worlds, right? So you got to bring, you bring the best possible things that you enjoy. Um Jedi's on that list for a lot of people. It high checks floor, basically every box. Yeah, and high floor is very important. And force basically makes sure you have a high floor and obviously a high ceiling with double reposition. Yeah, and then I mean, just to uh, you know, I think we don't have a ton of wave five data, but we have a bunch of wave five like hyperspace trial data or a decent amount. Um, and it's you know, Republic is still performing above thirty percent in in terms of cut rate, so that's pretty good. Um, it's still it's still up there, right? After after all the cards that came out, um, we don't have as much data as people would probably want to have like the definitive answers on some of this stuff. But I think everyone would agree that Jedi will be there in force. Yeah, especially with the uh, prizes that they're giving away with all the cool Jedi and the Plo Koon ships. Uh, I guarantee that people are going to be shooting for the dial covers and all that extra stuff. <laughs> yeah, my plan is to trade Plo Koon in for in for Von Regs. But we'll see if that works out or not. Wait, they just trade it straight up for a Von Reg? I I saw that one post. It was selling for two hundred dollars. So I figure I could buy a bunch of Von Reg ties. There you go. Okay. <laughs> um, I was just gonna try to fund my next year's world trip, but that works too. Um, so all right, so we have Jedi, we have I six with bid. I'm gonna say what we got Vader, we've got Soontier. They're definitely always gonna perform well. Han Solo. Um, yeah. yeah, maybe not even with a bid, but just I six is going to be at a premium. Um, you know, w as we know, when people have to go to a, an important tournament, they kind of return to the safety of their aces, and that's more important than ever. With uh, some of the stuff we're going to get into later, definitely uh, repositioning turrets, and we'll get into exactly why that is. Um... Yep, uh, definitely big base turrets. Any turret that can that can boost. Um, is, is going to be really popular. Uh, but, it, you know, it's tough, right? Because we, we know so little about the full ripple effect of Wave 5. So this is mostly just, like, the very top of kind of the, the most general archetypes, right, that we're expecting. I'm expecting more turrets than we saw before. I don't know if that means there'll be a lot. It's hard to say. I mean, thinking about it with Han Solo and the Falcon, there, there's no reason that he should, like... He got nerfed, sure, with the Alyssa slot being taken away from him. But I think at the same time, like, he was still super strong, and he might even be stronger in the meta that we might just be encountering right now. Yeah, he checks the I6 box, and he checks the kind of 360 turret box, plus the ability to fly away from things. So 
it's all pretty good. Yep. Um, and and a big base, so that doesn't hurt either. Um, but it, you know, it's funny, right? Because um, you know, like there there'll be people kind of making these same assumptions, kind of trying to make counter meta decisions. <laughs> so I'm always really curious about that. And then of course it's a gigantic tournament, so it's very likely that there's just you know tons and tons of kind of Swiss randomness. Um, you know, whatever people have been practicing is usually what they want to take, even if Wave Five changed everything. Yeah. Um, so, and then the big boogeyman that I guarantee will be there is the ensnare upgrade. We'll just say that. We're not even going to say the Nantex. We're just going to say ensnare. Um, I think that's fair. Yeah. So I know we might, like you said, we might not have much data on it, but people are already starting to understand how strong of a ship this is. Yeah. Um, well, and we do have a little bit of data. Um, so just to, just to throw some of that out there. And again, it's not a huge sample set, but, um, you know, right now, Ensnare is looking at a 40% conversion rate, something like that. Um, and then the Separatist faction overall is hovering right around 40% through hyperspace trials. So that's pretty high. Um, you know, there hasn't been a huge number of trials to draw that that from, but uh, yeah, it may be a sign of where we're headed. Now, so we've talked about Jedi, we've talked about I-6 with a bid, and do we think that um sunfac with ensnare is a direct result of this i mean like we have uh, obviously like do we think that ensnare is almost a direct counter to these two things well so so i guess the first thing to say is before wave five things were trending towards like either high ship count kind of eight ship seer lists or or sink or swarm lists and then like highly mobile aces um you know, even people were really beginning to explore sort of supernatural aces and things like that. Uh, then Wave 5 kind of dropped and puts into this game, you know, essentially it's a... I don't even know what the analogy is. There isn't really a good analogy for it, but I think of it as sort of like an I-6 270-degree turret um, that's also an incredible swarm counter and, you know, a really good control and support piece that elevates the offense of the rest of your list, including the defense of the rest of your list. So th this this one piece, kind of, you have to take it seriously. And I can't think of anyone going to Worlds who wouldn't, you know, change their list slightly to try and deal with it. Um, so the most obvious kind of list building answers everyone's already aware of, and we'll get into them in a little more detail. But the first one is I six moving last, um, and then the other one is kind of being, you know, a bigger ship base, right? Um, it just so happens that those some of those bigger base ships ha have some turrets on them or, or rear arcs. Uh, so I, I just think there's kind of like some natural directions that or natural responses that we can anticipate, right? Right. All right. So before we get into this next topic, we're going to get this out of the way. Jonathan, what's your opinion on the Nantex and specifically Ensnare? Well, uh, the... Uh... It's a loaded question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it is neat how it can, it's unique in its ability to move around requiring the tractor token. So that's interesting. The bullseye only arc in the front, and then the two die rotating turret is interesting, is okay too. Um, the ensnare, I'm not a huge fan of the ensnare talent upgrade. I don't know. It's like the inability, the lack of counterplay, and the fact that you can't block it, and the fact that it's not Sunfac is not afraid of being blocked like other aces are. 
sort of limits your counterplay. Um, so from that, so I'm not a huge fan, but um, I'm not, I haven't really played against it. So, you know, I'm not really, maybe I should be more afraid of it right now. I'm not, but I guess I'm also someone who tends to bring like four five, six, lots of ships. Uh, so as a non ace player, I'm not as afraid of it. Maybe I should be more afraid. You probably should be. <laughs> um, it's, it is, there's been a lot of talk that it's just bad for aces. It's bad for anything small base. So that's it. I've seen it do terrible things to swarms and terrible things to aces. All right, Brent, how do you feel? I spent a lot of today flying Sunfac and flying against Sunfac with Jedi, and I kind of want to like go and curl up into a ball and cry a little bit. Um, I mean, it, was, <laughs> it, it just wasn't fun. Um, it wasn't fun to fly, in my opinion. I, I thought it was going to be a lot of fun just trackering myself all over the place. And I, I didn't enjoy it too much, and uh, just I had to be so patient as a Jedi player. Um, I mean, I, they they create like really interesting games. Like if you get into a good game with a you know high level Nantex player, I think, and a high level Ace player, I, I think it would be really exciting to watch. Um, but the, it's just so different than anything else we have. Um, we'll have so. to pick apart that because I, I think we're in a moment we're going to talk through everything it does, right? Um, there's there's some interesting stuff in there. It's it's very it's very hard to understand what you're seeing. <laughs> At least yes. that's what I've been seeing so far, right? It's a lot of confusion about it. So, Chris, do you want do you want me to tell my opinion on it, or do you wanna you wanna take? No, I, I don't have opinions <laughs> on it. I'm just gonna talk about how it works. You go okay. ahead. Um, uh, I understand the the why people are afraid of it and why people think it's a negative uh, play experience. Me personally, as a person who gravitates towards control pieces, I'm excited for it. I'm bringing two lists to worlds, and both of them all have control elements to it. Um, so I understand the concerns. I've seen this thing in action. I see that, like, basically, you could think you're safe, but you're actually not safe from this thing. And I know that can be a very poor experience, a negative play experience for some people. Um, but I, I think at the same time, it, it's we're going to try to get into some of its weaknesses. We're going to try to show things off. Um, and I'm one of those people, if you can't beat them, join them. So like I said, I'm bringing two lists. I'm bringing a scum list, and I'm bringing a double Nantex list of worlds, and that's it. So Yeah. So so listen, I, there's been so much talk about the ship, right? And I, I don't think there's any, been a detailed breakdown of what it is yet. Um and it's just because it's like the the reactions to it have been so emotional, right? And for good reason. Like control pisses everyone off, um, and control that like we talked about this last episode, control that doesn't require a lot of setup or have direct counters definitely gets people riled up, right? And that's that's in part what this is, but it's so much more than just a control piece. So I, you know, to start, like I think it's important for us just to try to explain to people how it moves, what it's trying to do. You know, like all of the different things that go into flying the Nantex, and then we can talk about things you can do to maybe mitigate the matchup. And then the last thing is all the boring list building responses that follow. Yeah, yeah so I, uh, I think that's the best place to go here. Yeah, definitely. One of, one of the first things that um, you really need to identify with this thing is you you need to understand what it does. Like if you don't know what it does, then you're going to find yourself into a trap, and you're just going to get caught with your pants down, basically. 
Right. So as a qualifier for this, right? I think I've played against it now maybe ten times. I've used it twice. I don't know. It's some. It's it's more than you know the five or a couple of games that I had you know early on. Um, I, I I think I think the the most immediate thing to explain to people is the way that it approaches combat, right? And the fact that it essentially is pointing its turret away from where it will ultimately want to target. Um, is, is really just kind of the most visible nuance of the ship, right? So if just it's it's easier to visualize this, but to explain it to people, if Sunfac is walking up to combat, right, in a straight joust, most of the time he's going to be pointing his turret to the side away from combat so that when he, he arrives where he wants to be and he tractors himself, he can rotate that turret to the front or to the other side. And what it does is it basically creates a 180 degree arc on on that angle of of the ship base um, if he chooses to reposition. If he doesn't choose to reposition, he can leave his arc on that side and act like a regular ship with a turret that's shooting from the right hand side of the ship. Um, so hopefully that was clear, right? But like the, the the thing that's creating the most confusion, in my opinion, about the ship for most people early on is they simply do not have the ability to visualize where the arcs are going to end up and even when they're like planning their dials they're not thinking at all about where the actual threat map is right so that's that's the first thing to get past right is any any detail you'd add to that and mechanically how that works i'm not i i mean i think what you said you cut out Brett. one thing i do find that's kind of oh i'm sorry one thing i think that's pretty cool about the ship is that normally you know a turret you you put it to the right you put it to the left you never want to really rotate it in, in this ship you're rotating so much it just flies so differently in that regard and i do think that's kind of really cool and it's something that people don't have uh, a lot of experience with at all um it, it's not really too related to your threat map thing but it is just kind of a unique aspect of it right so we're going to post show notes with this right and i'll include the images that we've mocked up on vassal and I, i've previously had posted that on facebook for everyone to see um so the key is, right, that if if the arc starts pointing to the right-hand side of Sunfac and he's flying towards you, there is a Wookiee arc facing you, basically diagonally on, on Sunfac's ship base, right? That's what's happening to you. Um, and it is essentially a 270-degree arc at I-6 because he's got Luke Gunner if he's moving last. So he's going to put that arc wherever he needs to except behind him. Um so that's what you know the, the trick is and we'll get into the repositioning like you can you can somewhat pressure them into to situations where they don't get to do all of their tricks um so you know if it's pointing to the left hand side then you're really looking at the most dangerous threat zone being the front of the ship in the very right you know the right right arc um and then if it's pointing forwards you kind of have this butterfly effect right where he can he can leave that arc pointing forwards if he wants to to shoot you know outside of the bullseye arc um, but very typically, that means that they're going to be shooting from the left or the right-hand side of the ship. Um, and the thing that gets lost on people is that that side arc, I, I might be wrong on this, but it feels wider than it, the forward arc. Yep. Is that correct? Is. Yep. So yeah, what that implies is that with a ship that can barrel roll and also has a defender dial with no reds on it, essentially, um, there is a really serious threat zone basically behind the ship. So there's a lot of talk about going behind the ship. Um, if the arc was pointing forward, and depending on the reposition, there's kind of this like jagged edge of arcs that actually point backwards that are about at range one behind of wherever the, wherever the ship lands. 
Um, so there's there's also that kind of AOE effect really in multiple directions after you account for the barrel rolls. Um, and then on top of that, you have the opportunity for it to do a one hard turn and basically roll backwards, which creates an even bigger threat area behind the ship. So the easiest thing will be for people who haven't played it yet to actually play it. And then in the show notes, we'll, we'll put the, the Vassal maps up. So the, the other thing I wanted to get to was just uh, the fact that it has a five straight. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys have experienced this in game yet, in games yet, but that five straight is um, it's a disaster. Like that thing can basically rocket past an engagement to whatever you're trying to protect. Uh, and it's it's fast. This is a like a, I know it can't do a bank boost, but it's a fast ship. I mean, so this comes into like flying Fen for so long, like this is basically the maneuver of how you're going to close that gap. Like Fen wants to be in their range one in that front arc and stuff like that, where like with this, this really kind of closed the gap or puts you past a certain point that you need to, that you can either fly past something or you can get into that range one arc um, for the ensnareability. Very easily. Right. Yeah. And then like, so even if you're not flying directly towards a ship, right. If, if you do a four straight and a barrel roll left, you might actually land range one. Like that's actually a much broader, broader threat area <laughs> than people realize. Even if it's like using the side arc barrel rolling towards you, um, that range one gets a lot closer than you might be expecting a lot of the time. Um, so, you know, one of the things to talk about here is just sort of like the types of lists you're going to see in snare in. Because it's sort of helpful to talk about that before we get into where it deploys in the board and how it engages, right? So the archetypes we're seeing so far, it's essentially the first one everyone built was Sunfac and six vultures with grappling struts within snare, right? Um, and then usually like at 198 with a two-point bid. Uh, the next one everyone built after that was Sunfac, uh, another Nantex, both within snare, usually with Chirtex because they want the rerolls, but more frequently now with the i5 Brewer. Um, and then Grievous as the third ship. So this is sort of like, for a diehard cis, cis player, that's probably one of the saddest lists ever because it's just straight cis aces. Um, however, it, it's, it is what it is, right? You have, uh, you've got basically Sunfac, an extra Nantex, and then a third threat. Um, and then the other thing I've been seeing is kind of removing Sunfac from the lists. Uh, you introduce Brewer or Cheertech, and then you get more things. You can get seven other ships as kind of the support out of the, the jousting element. Um, and then recently, uh, Sunfac and Maul uh, was used at a hyperspace trial, just the two of those. You know, if, I think I think you could potentially run like Sense on Maul there just to guarantee yourself some things, but probably Hate and Palp and a couple of other stuff. Um, so all those things, all those ship, all those, all those archetypes kind of engage slightly differently. Sunfac and Six does something different than, you know, the double and snare aces list will. Um, but those are the general archetypes. Any other archetypes you guys would add? I don't think so. Um, yeah, I, I mean, all my list building has really kind of revolved around these. Like, I, I might throw a hyena in here, here and there, but that's about it. Like, whatever you have to do to make room for ensnare, right? That's yeah. the starting point. You have to have ensnare in there. Um, there are many cool lists that you can build the Nantex without ensnare, but they're not relevant to worlds, so we're not going to talk about them. So, so getting back to the dial very briefly, right? So all of the banks are blue, the two forward and the three forward is blue, and then it has all of the hard turns, which are white. Um, so I can't emphasize enough how huge of a deal it is that these things have white one hard turns. 
Um, that that is that fun. Like if they didn't have a one hard turn on their dial, the the danger zone that this thing creates would be fundamentally different. Um, but that that one hard turn just is a game changer as far as I'm concerned for the balancing of this ship. Um, it also happens to have three sloops and five k and a five k. I have never seen anyone use those. I haven't either. Um, they're they're I, I can blank. <laughs> Right, I, like I can imagine using the five K potentially, um, just to kind of like, if you're definitely not taking shots, just to sort of like reset whatever your flank is. Um, that that all makes sense to me. But the last thing you want to do with the Nantex is stress, right? Because it prevents you from rotating your arc. Yeah, I'm not going to get into that argument either. <laughs> um, I, I know. Yeah, we'll, we'll move on from that. <laughs> yeah, so the, the point being, you don't want to stress with the Nantex, and you don't right. really need to K-turn, and you also don't need to sloop in most cases, because like we've been saying, there's there's a side arc on this thing um, that, that has a really broad range. And it, it also kind of, the thing that is lost on a lot of people is it doesn't have to tractor everything to be a threat, right? It can arc dodge, move out of range or out of arc of, of other ships, and kind of chip damage in with a regular two dice, you know, side arc, uh, or you know, line up a bullseye. It still has it still has offensive output without that. Um, although it is constantly and desperately trying to set up the the tractor turns at all times. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Like, there's been times where like. When when I fly this, that I purposely like e even like just bumping or something like that. Like, there's times that you just don't want to take shots at all with it. If that makes sense. Well, so what do you mean? Like, you, you don't want to? I don't understand. So like, let's say like I bump and you um, I might tractor myself and then uh, do something like tractor you off of me instead of tractor myself to like arc dodging that way as as opposed to. Oh yeah yeah. Um, okay, well, let's get into that, right? So, like, like there's some kind of weird rules around how that uh, sh that ship ability works. So, um, essentially, you know, again, just a lot of this is for our locals, right, who might be going to Worlds and aren't going to get a chance to really break it down, right? So, like, if you if if you're moving the ship, you have to take a tractor token first, reposition, and then rotate your arc, right? That's essentially how it works. And if you do that reposition, if you take the tractor, you have to rotate the arc, right? Um, you, you don't necessarily have to reposition. You can take the tractor and stay where you are and rotate. But essentially, that's that's the way it works, right? You, if you want to rotate your arc, you have to take a tractor token. Right, and, and I read the rules reference pretty in, deep to, uh, in depth today, and there's a chance that I feel like they might rule this, that it works kind of like a red maneuver that you would do, the, or a red action where you take the um action first and then you assign the tractor but regardless um it, it still works that way okay so so then just kind of talking through the the blocking thing that you mentioned right so if a ship moves to block and the nantex flies into it um and its arc is facing sideways right and they just smash directly into each other so you did they both just frustrated and the sun and sunfact just gets blocked by a tie fighter right um, Sunfact will rotate its arc forward and be able to tractor you basically left or right, or it might rotate its arc to the opposite side of the ship and and tractor you to the left side, right? And take a shot. Yeah. Um, the thing that, you know, we kind of have to clear the air on, though, is there's been a lot of discussion of, you know, blocking doesn't matter against the ship. It doesn't in the sense that it can it, it's an arc dodging opportunity for the ship when you block it, right? 
Um, but on the flip side, it does still prevent the use of a focus token or an evade token. Um, so it probably has that gravity card on there, so it might still get a reroll on defense. Um, but it is important to note that when you block it, it doesn't get tokens. All it's allowed to do is arc dodge and move your ship and reduce it, your opponent's ship by one agility. Um, all in quotes there, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Um, that that I would say is one of the biggest things. Like I mean, like granted, he's going to try to arc dodge you and whether it be moving your ship, moving his ship, but the fact that he doesn't have tokens, like if you still have shots on that thing, that's when you will be taking them, I would say. Right, and if being the big thing, right? So yeah. this is why yeah. the ship is oddly at ease in places that other aces would be terrified. So because of the ability to kind of smash in and move ships around, um, it's this weird thing that happens where like kill boxes suddenly become relatively safe for, for the Nantex, right? Where if it's able to adjust the position of one or two or one of the ships, um, you know, it can basically reduce the number of shots it's defending from uh, and, and delete something potentially before it fires. All these kinds of things come into play. Uh, so, yeah, and, and then besides the blocking piece, can you talk at all about how it interacts with obstacles? Because that's something that I'm a little unclear on. I don't think I, it's come up enough in games for me to really speak to. But how does it interact with rocks, gas clouds, and debris? All right, so if they rule it that um, you have to change your arc, like let's say they rule it that it's like a red action, so you would have to rotate your arc, and then you would have to um, assign the tractor token, then it's whatever. Like you, There's no real consequence to it, because then you can just tractor beam yourself onto a rock or onto a debris or anything like that. If they don't rule it the other way, and like Grin, I'm saying this because I have a feeling that we're going to get the definite um, well, answer to this on the. This sorry, up. yeah, I'm confused though. So, like, the are we talking about current rules or or some ruling we haven't received yet? So uh, I'm, I'm thinking like so that when you read the card, let me pull up what uh, the card says. Da, 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 da. Yeah, and sorry to interrupt, because I, I think we should start with what the current assumed rules are, right? So it says That's you important. cannot rotate your arc to your rear arc. Um, after you execute a maneuver, you may gain one tractor token to perform a rotate action. Um, so the way I'm reading this is if you gain the tractor token, it is a, you're basically putting the rotate action into the ability cube but because tractoring is a game mechanic i would assume that you have to resolve that first um now th there's some weird loopholes that i know people are trying to break with uh if you have to assign the tractor first if you barrel roll yourself onto a debris or let's say you barrel roll yourself into a rock and roll a crit and get panic pilot or something like that or damage sensor array then you shouldn't be able to perform the rotate action. I'm operating under that assumption, right? Like, I'm bringing debris to worlds for that specific reason. Correct. Right? Um, which so, could be clear, right? That means if it if it deals, if it has stress, it cannot, you know, do its tricks, right? right. It can't rotate. Um, so things to keep in mind, though, is uh, that could work to the advantage of the Nantex player. If they don't want to rotate their arc, they could purposely uh, tractor themselves onto the debris, and then they don't have to move their arc. Um, I would, like I said, keep a very close eye on, on this, because I have a feeling that they're going to rule this kind of like a red action, where you can still perform the action, 
But then you get assigned to that, like, where with the red action you get a stress token, where this might be you perform the action and then get assigned to the tractor token. Um, it's something that we're going to have to ask them. Like I said, I hope they resolve this on this stream coming up on the, I think it's the 3rd or the 4th. Right. So what you just described there, though, would mean that they could rotate onto a debris. Is that basically what you're saying? So you, you would rotate and then you could barrel roll. Um, okay. That sounds awful. Okay. Yeah. But either way, like, uh, let, let's let's move on from this, though, right? Because I think yeah. it's a little confusing. So the other thing to be clear on, right, is that you can rocket over an, an, an asteroid, right? And as long as you execute that maneuver and have cleared it, it doesn't matter, right? You're, you can tractor yourself at that point. Um and then rotate. Yes. So you can do that even if you land on it. You don't have to even, get yeah. over it. Right. It's it's got built-in struts in a way. Right. It's just kind of able to move off those things. And the same is true for gas clouds. As yeah. always, gas clouds don't do anything. Yeah. Okay. All <laughs> right. So, yeah. All right. So we kind of hit all that. Um, so then, kind of moving moving into a few other things uh, that are really important. So it it has three agility base. So we're going to get into counterplay, but one thing I need to dispel like upfront. Range three engagements against this thing, unless they're like not trying and have decided to put themselves at range three of your entire list, and your list is heavily modified, it has four agility and a focus or an evade token at range three, right? So most of the time, if someone's paying attention, or unless you've trapped them somehow, which you can, um, they're probably only defending from maybe two shots at range three before they get a little closer the next couple rounds. Um, so very important to be aware that they're running with essentially three agility base, four agility at range three, and they're not going to be choosing to reduce their own agility at that range if they know they're going to be taking sh some shots. Right. Um, so that's that's really important. And then as we just described, the rocks kind of matter because you still want to be able to take your focus token, but they can hide behind obstacles. That's a thing they can do. So that that any any quick comments on that, right? Because I, I think just that this is overlooked, right? Like the three agility piece of this makes it much more durable than the four hole would imply. Um, definitely. Uh, again, if I'm an Antex player, I'm probably bringing gas clouds. Um, for, really? For, yeah, Wait, I, I think so. No, uh, uh, thinking about it, like I think I'd be bringing gas clouds for that extra defense. Um, just because don't they you can... want to deny shots though? Putting people on rocks. Eh, you can. I, I don't think I need it. Wow. I had never even considered that. Well, I mean, so that gets into some other stuff, right? Which is that it, it is, you know, we've talked about the tractor mechanic a lot. So, we talk, you know, it's a control piece, right? But it is also an ace. Um, this thing at, in the end game is remarkable, right? Um, so, you know, I, I don't think taking all three gas clouds would ever make sense you probably want to bring three big rocks that's the conventional kind of wisdom here but if a cloud helps you get to the end game i don't know um i'm not gonna say anything definitive there i haven't run it enough but no, I, I would think i would think big rocks is the control you want sure i i mean i think big rocks are fine like i would probably bring the biggest the the long gas cloud you might even have the option to bring one of each i mean with, with this thing but um this with the gas cloud i mean there you have the opportunity to tractor yourself through a gas cloud if you feel like you're going to be getting shots um th there's been times that i've run this thing where i might be in a bad position and i find myself being like okay if i can hide behind this gas cloud to avoid three shots from a swarm as opposed to trying to tractor one of them and you know taking it off the table i think i'm taking the gas cloud option over that it might be a mix where you do two big and then like one. I, I don't know. Um, I, I still would 
I still would assume the three. Uh, but but go ahead, go ahead, Ian. Brett. I was just gonna at least in my games, like the the three big rocks basically shut off a whole por- portion of the like the board, right? Like I, okay. if I'm gonna be anywhere near those rocks, I need to be so careful that that seems like a, an even stronger control element to me. And so many people are bringing gas clouds anyway. I'm I'm thinking that sure. in a lot of games you'll probably get both. And yeah, it's fair. You can count on your opponent for it. <laughs> right. um, no, that's a good point. So uh, moving on from the obstacles a little bit, uh, the, the offensive output, right? So we talked a little bit about the defensive profile, right? Four hole, three agility, um, ability to reposition. Those are all good things. Defensively, it's it's moving ships out of you know it, it's it's arc dodging, but it's also able to you know arc dodge at the start of activation or at the, at the start of combat in a way the end of activation you move a ship and you might arc dodge that way that's the defensive profile the offensive profile is kind of crazy too um so I, there aren't many things in the game that um you know are rocking a five dice shot at range one and a four dice shot through a side arc um those are those are two common options for for sunfac i've played games where there have been more than two five dice shots taken um, by by Sunfac. Now that I, that seems like that's high, right? Um, but that's the thing that that is happening. The, the forward arc on this thing is dangerous. That bullseye is a very wide area, uh, given the fact that there are you know side turrets on the left and the right in some cases. Makes uh, sense. Yeah, no, definitely. Is especially when you get into range one, like that bullseye arc just takes up so much more space as opposed to two and three. Um, you'll, right. you'll land that so much more than you actually expect. Yeah, pretty much if you're if you're range one, you're getting bullseye, right? And this thing is going to be range one at a certain point. Yeah. Um, so, but, but on the flip side, the, the way that it is typically being used so far from what I've seen is, you know, using the side arc as the offensive output. I, so it's it's unusual to me to see a small base ship that's throwing four dice at range one without having to equip an upgrade right through a side arc. Um, so like Cavill can do stuff like that right right with the dorsal turret. Uh, but this this basically has kind of a built-in Cavill side arc, uh, and that's how most of the combat that I've seen Sunfac participate in is kind of taken care of. Sure. Uh, anything else on sort of like the offensive profile? I guess the other ones. You know, like Cheertech and uh, Cheertech's getting rerolls, Brewers I five and throwing two dice out the side, um, which you know it's it's still impactful to be throwing a, a you know three dice uh, through a side arc. That's that's going to matter in four dice forward. Um, it has a little bit of kind of a a Fang Fighter thing going on in that way. Although I think the parallels pretty much stop there because the Fang Fighter is so much more predictable in terms of where it will attack from. Um, th- this is a turret, right? The Fang Fighter is absolutely not a turret. I yep. uh, okay. So then, m- moving through to a couple other things before we get into counterplay, right? I uh, one thing that I th- is important is sort of the way that this deploys. So I've been kind of describing it as when you deploy or as you are engaging, the the Nantex wants to keep its arc that you know basically pointed off the board or off a board edge right so if it's if you think about yourself facing like a play mat right your board edge and the left and the right board edge those are those are all kind of areas where the nantex's arc is probably going to be pointing before combat 
So that way it can swing its arc to the front or swing it to the right. And it's, you know, basically using the board edge to prevent the opponent from trying to exploit the one area where you might not be able to land a tractor as easily, even though we know you still can land the tractor in that on that side of the ship um, with the forward arc or some other things. So does that make sense, right? So if you see like six vultures and and, and Sunfac, like the Sunfac's probably going to, deploy in such a way that he can point his arc off the board yeah um so one of the things that i I realized with like testing this and everything was that um yes counterplay a little bit i I know we said we're getting into counterplay though um is if you watch where the turret arc is it's, it's almost like you're watching its possible movements. If you are turning the turret arc to the off the board, like say he's lined up on the right and he's off the board, there's a good chance that he's not making that turn. Like he might be doing a bank or going straight, but you also kind of have to like, kind of like watch his arc to see where he's possibly going to be, where his next maneuvers are going to be going. Right. So, so I think we can kind of somewhat quickly transition into the counterplay or or merge the two topics. Right. Um, So one of the, one of the things that, as an Antex player, won't be you know constantly on people's minds is the fact that their opponent simply will not be processing all of the areas or locations that are actually dangerous dangerous for their ship. So you know we've talked about this in the past, but it's important to try and visualize where arcs will be right when you're fighting a ship. Um, with the Nantex, you can do that. You can visualize it, but it's really fuzzy. So when I've played against it. It has so much coverage that I find that the best thing to do is just to pick a blob around or near or in front or to the side of the ship. And with the five forward, much further from where the ship is, you just kind of pick a blob and then you, you, it's better to visualize where the tractor zone isn't, if that makes sense. (laughs) That's how I've been approaching it, right? Um, Which is essentially, you know, it's range four um, behind the Nantex or um, completely in you know, in its arc before it moved. Um, but there are a couple of specific places where that's possible, remembering that you don't know what their maneuver will be. If it's a hard one turn or something else, that actually becomes a danger zone, what you think is safe. Um, so it's a, it's a fuzzy thing, right? But like, there's been a lot of talk again about trying to go where its arc is pointing. That is not going to be successful for you in all cases. Right. It's, it's, it's a slightly more vulnerable area for the Nantex, but it isn't a truly more vulnerable area. You don't know what they're going to pick. No, like I said, just just exactly what I was saying though is like if you're pointing that um, arc off the board, and they do, chances are they're not going to be doing like a turn in to like kind of do it. But I mean, if you if they're doing like the bank or the um, like a straight maneuver, like those possibilities are still endless. Uh, they're they're going to cover so much area as opposed, but. At the same time, I think you – it's almost like a linebacker watching a quarterback size. Like, if you can sit there and watch where these thing isn't going to be going, um, it, again, it's not always the safe thing to do, but it's going to give you the options to realize where is this thing throwing this uh, token at. Kind of, yeah. Like, So I, I would say that that's the part where I need many, many more games before I have any real confidence in saying that there's, like, a specific way to handle it. So far in most of my games, there have been turns where the safe zone was obvious, right? But most of the time, I think it was just like, it wasn't something I orchestrated. It just sort of developed, right? Where for the initial engage, the Nantex player is able to control where their arc is, right? So they might three bank in like I described and put that 180 on me, right? 
Um, but then after that, sometimes they can get into these sort of awkward spots where they they aren't fully thinking through where their where their arc needs to be pointing before they move. Um, all of this is so much easier to visualize, like through Vassal or on YouTube. It's really hard to talk about. But where I would leave it, right, is that it is difficult for any of us to properly visualize all of the possible places that an Antex arc can be. Um, so the, the counterplay turns into a process of sort of like trying to simplify that problem, right? Uh, and and that's that's where like attacking from along a board edge can trap you, but it can also at least give you some information about where you can't be tractored. Like some of the answers are really kind of they're compromises, right? So like sometimes the best thing you can do in fighting this is just take a tractor token, but not get repositioned. That's a win. I hate saying that's a win, but it's a win, right? Yeah. Um, because that, that's that's the kind of counterplay that we'll get into in a second. So w one thing I do want to add to that is the offensive mods are very limited to this thing. So sometimes get if uh, following up with, with what you just said was that if um, you can get trackered without being moved, there's a chance that either he's in a very tight spot or that he possibly bumped and can't move you around. Um with that being said, he doesn't have very high offensive mods that he can put through with this thing. Yeah, so so let's get so like I, I'm just kind of scrolling down to some of the other stuff. So like supernatural aces, right? When you fight those, there's there's no good clear answers to it. Um, but but kind of keeping your distance and uh, you know setting up you know like being able to to know where they are uh, in a general area. Right, so you can sort of collapse in on on that area, um, is is one of the ways you fight a supernatural ace. A supernatural ace isn't a great parallel to this because when you do that successfully, you force them to disengage. Um, when you force Sunfact disengage because of the turret, he might still be shooting at you. Uh, but but there is something there, right? Which is like, you know, you're you're not able to visualize everywhere a supernatural ace can be. It's not even worth trying in some cases, right? Like you pick like the three or four most like or two actually most probable options and you just start there right um and then you might try to block their potential like pre-movement boost or barrel roll options um so the, the parallel to sunfac is you know you can actually attempt to block sunfac and also block the places that he can reposition to so that's one thing that i've found is actually workable the problem is you have to guess you know between a five straight or all the straight maneuvers all the banks and all the hard turns before that block right you but you can narrow that down if you understand some of the arc location stuff that we were talking about before right um so that, that's it's like a magic block right if you get this to work congratulations but it's something that can work where if, if you if you block the ship deny tokens and then block all its possible repositions You'll lose a ship, but in the process, Sunfac might die. Sure. Don't don't. Also, like when when I say block, I don't necessarily even mean like bumping. Um, but if you could set up this shot that like you might have like two shots on them, there's a good chance that he's not spending that mod. Like he's probably taking a focus, and like I said, there's a good chance that he's not spending that mod on offense. Um, Threatening him with another shot is so important to right. to block those offensive mods. Yes. Right. And again, I can't, it's, it's, I don't want to oversimplify because even getting Sunfac into the situation we're <laughs> right. describing is a challenge, right? Like they almost have to opt into some of what we're describing. Um, however, right, like what you're, what you talked about is one 
one helpful thing to do. And then the other is, and this is the most consistent thing that I've found, um, I just accept that I'm going to lose a ship. Yep. So I pick which one is going to be deleted. And the turn that it is deleted is the turn that the game swings and completely hinges on. If that, if I lose that first ship in such a way that, you know, like, whatever, I'm going to lose that ship. But if I trade for enough damage with Sunfact that turn, then then I have a chance. But it, it gets back to that player really needed to opt into that situation. Yes. Um, it's usually pretty clear as, you know, you're setting that up. With the turret, they can kind of opt out of it if they're attacking from the, the edges of your list. Um, so this is, I, I don't want, it's it's hard to talk about counterplay. Let's, be, let's just be clear about this because it's early, right? And the counterplay isn't very clear if it even exists, right? Um, so I, So the one other thing I would throw out that's like immediately obvious is try not to engage near rocks. That's true for any tractor control list, right? Um, but even more so for this bad boy, right? Like engaging in clear open areas or, you know, the, the way I think about it is if rocks are behind you, you're, then they're not going to be near you for the first round of combat, right? Um, so like you want to engage beyond obstacles. You want to engage in areas where they can't put you onto the rocks and deny shots. Um, they'll still put you, you know, out of having a chance to shoot. Um, but it's better than, you know, being rocked for the next turn and that kind of stuff. Yeah, turn zero is super important when playing against this thing. Right, and I'm glad you brought that up, because turn zero with, like, a lot of these lists, or at least the Sunfact plus six, the deployment that it's looking for is sort of, like, it's putting, it's creating rock alleys in a lot of cases. Um, and I'm saying some of this definitively. I do not have enough experience to say it that way. But what I've seen so far, right, is that it's trying to put, like, rock alleys on the left and the right-hand side of the board. Um, and then maybe an obstacle in the middle. Uh, a lot of that going on, right? Because then it can just sort of you know, pick where it's going to put Sunfac and then, or where Sunfac wants to be. Have you seen anything else with the, the obstacle deployment? I think just kind of like clusters in the middle to make them too close together, right? You right. can sort of like attack from the sides of that. So it's like, uh, I, I never really understood what Han wanted to do, right? Han kind of spread out obstacles to make the obstacles matter more, which is a little counterintuitive, right? Well, his base was just so big that he was always yeah. hitting something within range one. But right, yeah, but I like I, Andrew, you're about to say something. Like, what are you trying to achieve when you set up obstacles with this? I, I so far I've just seen kind of alley set up and then making them matter as much as possible. Right? Um. All right. So, a it be, depends on the obstacles you are given. And like I said, if you have gas clouds in here, um, uh, the first thing I'm trying to do is with the gas clouds is not give them to him. Um. He's probably going to try to use them to set up that perfect engagement that he wants. And that involves him uh, basically trying to get that five straight forward or something along those lines. So you kind of want to like negate them as most as possible. Um, I, again, I try not to. With this, I try to spread them out a little bit to give him the least amount of options that he has to really play with, if that makes so sense. It, it kind of so like what I've been doing is I, I'll put all of the obstacles as close to me as possible. Yeah. That that like not so much worrying about spread out or not, but like basically my goal is to put them as close to me as possible so I can get past them, right? Or put them in a very clear area of the board, right? So if I can create like a rock garden on any area of the board that I know I can avoid, then that's kind of a win turn zero for me. Right. Yeah. If you can have because like seventy percent of the board open, then... yes that's huge so like you can accomplish that by putting it near your near your ships at the start of combat so you can get 
past them and then go play on their side of the board, right? Or create a rock area that you know for sure you're going to you're just not going to go anywhere near it the entire game. Um, and not near it is something specific, right? Like you can start near it, you just need to get past it, yeah. right? You can't you cannot engage with that thing, you know, with those rocks to the side of you. Um, and it, this this gets back into counterplay, but like as the game goes on, um, you have to be careful here because it's an Aces list, right? And it's going to chip away at you and has an Alpha Strike element. Uh, but as the game goes on, you can't stop thinking about this, right? Like just because you avoid the rocks for the initial engagement doesn't mean you're done avoiding rocks, right? No, there's like, a good chance that he's you need gonna... to pick things that make that a fact the entire game. Yeah, there's a good chance that they're going to play in the rock field if they can, like. They're going to yep. try to draw you in, and uh, I mean, it might the best strategy there might be doing something like taking three pot shots into it and then disengaging. Yep. Well, no, so so like the, I, you know, list building would allow you to bring turrets, and then you don't have to worry about right. any of it, right? Because you just fly around it, you never go near it, or you fly away from it. Um, but but if with a you know a more standard list that doesn't have some of that, you, you just disengage. Yeah. Right, and, and you sometimes you can't. There are going to be times when like. This thing is putting so much offense into your list that you you have no choice but going to go into the rocks to try and keep up. Um, you know you can't always disengage and allow a flank in open air, right? Like that's not a win. Uh, but it's all important concepts. So I've had some success with just kind of going to the open area of the board and then like you know basically I, I just go I'm going to their deployment. I'm going to K turn into their deployment and the game will start 30 minutes in and I will play from their end towards mine, right? That kind of thing. <laughs> Um, that's one way to handle it. Uh, so anything else on obstacles? I think we're good on that. Okay, and bring debris until the rules get clarified the way that you described. Yeah. Um, well, not that debris are super helpful. Getting a stress isn't great, <laughs> but whatever. Um, it, it's helpful for Jedi too, so we'll leave it there. Imagine back in like 1.0 when everyone's just like, debris is the worst. It, it rewards bad flying, and here we are saying debris is the best for Jedi, for Sunfac. It's kind of, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, so getting into some other counterplay things, and counterplays in quotes here, right? Because this is more about like game mitigation, right? Like things we can do to try to slightly improve the matchup. Um, so the, the other thing that I it's sort of you know it's i don't know how to put this um d disengaging from the ship is really difficult so you know like the range at which you engage i talked about range three is a little bit safer because at least you're not getting tractored right and you can maybe chip some damage in that's true the problem with range three is the next turn i uh, this the nantex's dial is completely open right essentially if their arc has been set up properly range three is sort of like the doomsday scenario for anything that it was just at range three or slightly beyond it because um, it basically means that the next turn you're guaranteed a tractor token so what that means right is like when you're engaging the ship rule of 11 matters but what i found is like attacking from range two before it can set up the range one tractor is the dream scenario Right, because that lets you get in meaningful shots, um, but more importantly, it gives you the opportunity to rocket past this ship and hope that the hard one turn roll back doesn't have you tractored again. So it is possible to kind of be semi-aggressive against the list before it's able to set up and try to jump to range two. It's incredibly risky though, because they can just call it, go go slightly faster, and tractor you anyways. Um, 
so, you, have you seen that in practice? Brett, did you have? Uh, so I'm just trying to, to picture like how you're approaching the ship where Sunfax not able to take you being in range two and just getting into range one. Okay. Yeah. So if it's approaching on an angle, or if it's like if it's if it's approaching on an angle, or if it's perpendicular to its board, walking along it, right? Basically, it, you can sometimes, depending on where the rocks are, kind of jump to range two, right? Because it can three hard turn in on you and boost, or it can three bank and roll at you. But there are board states where it's possible to sort of get on the list before. But it's like this is way on the bottom of list of the counter options, right? Like the the opponent would have to allow it, but opponents will. And if you see it, take advantage of it. Okay, gotcha. So one of the things you kind of have to remember with this uh, barrel roller boost is range two is one hundred percent not safe because you when you're doing the booster barrel roll, they're act they're basically adding a almost an entire range one like i think it's just under it's like a half a base away of um another range band with this tractor beam because they're they can essentially just barrel roll and get two bases closer to you so if you're not at range three there's like a very good chance that you're getting tractored there yeah you have to be like literally on the brink of range three not to be able to get that tractor taken off Right, and like so, part of the reason I wanted to talk this through, right, and like part of the reason why the counter discussion isn't very interesting is, you know, everything that we're talking about here requires some substantial contribution from the opponent, right? Um, and that that's that's true for a lot of lists in some capacity, right? But like, like this this kind of range control option is, you know, you, you're you're going to need to depend on a mistake somewhere in there for for you to get the, the bands that you want right it's not it's not something that you can kind of like plan for in all cases but i you know what it does kind of make clear though is you you don't really want to be range three i I don't know where you want to be besides (laughs) range three but if you're able to kind of like five straight before they can they're even thinking about closing the gap because you you know sometimes people are cagey right and you can kind of tell when they're being cagey so if you if you see that happening you can sort of like five straight right up into their their kind of into their area before they contract you sure um all right so then i got into it a little bit before i it is it is really important to kind of not give up on blocking as an option i i can't emphasize that enough right like not every list can do this but it is blocking will not help you save the ship that blocks necessarily um, but it, you, you kind of have to do like multi multiple stages of blocking. So you block the ship, you also block their reposition options, and then you need to also block at least one other dial choice, right? That's relevant to whatever their arc, um, you know, wherever their arc was facing. So that is technically possible, right? Like I've had games where I, I'm running a, a five ship kind of FO list now, right? So I've had games where I just position my TIE fighters you know, in all of the possible like places near the blob, right? And it's enough ships to kind of make, um, you know, just kind of close off some of those options. But again, we're talking about a situation where the Sunfact player would have to opt into that that joust, essentially. Jonathan, you want to touch base a little bit on this? I, I know you've been running Sacred Swarm um, and have experience with some of this. Um, 
Yeah, so I've been flying the Sinker Swarm some lately, and uh, but I'll admit I haven't had a lot of experience flying against Sunfac. I think uh, how would I play it differently? Um, well, I think trying to take advantage of the maybe the medium base on the arc since it's less vulnerable to being tractor or it can't be tractored by Sunfac since it requires two tractor tokens, I would consider, you know, jamming that arc into uh, the arc 170 into place in, in front of, sort of ramming it into Sunfax face. Those torrents would be really vulnerable if brought down to one agility to be, um, you know, they'd probably be killed by whoever is backing Sunfax up. I feel like with the kinds of lists that I've been flying, I would be more afraid of Sunfac and the six Sunfac with the six uh, drones. That's a lot of enemy ships, and it's really hard to sort of ignore, like um, a full-on six-ship swarm of Trade Federation drones. Whereas in other lists, like in that one game we played, where you had the two Nantexes and Grievous, I felt like I had enough ships that I could spread them out, and I didn't feel as threatened. If that makes sense. Yeah, um, it does. Um... But what you're alluding to there, though, kind of leads into the last topic on the counterplay, which is what kind of endgame do you want, right? And it's, it is critical that you're not facing Sunfac on full health at the end of the game, right? Like, that is that is one of the worst-case scenarios if you don't have a huge number of ships left on the board at that time somehow. Yeah, agreed. I think uh, in any of the... in Yes. Yeah, I wouldn't want, <laughs> yes. like, any generic, any combination of two or three like low ps generics would be eaten alive even it'd be much worse than like uh i don't know like soon fell or something because at least you know soon is going to too hard to bank put a ship there block him get some shots whereas Sunfac, you can't do that to him right and then if you're not running a swarm list it gets even worse right like you, you really have to make sure um you know swarm or aces list facing this or some 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 combination in between you need to make sure you have enough pieces for the end game to deal with Sunfac, or you need to make sure that he's gone and you're just going to, you know, do whatever heroics you have to against the rest of the list. Um, that's, you know, it's easier said than done, right? But in terms of target priority, I think it does lead to having to make clear choices where it's like, and we talked about this with Regen Jedi, they kind of force problems for you, you in terms of target priority. With this, you know, if, if you start into the six vultures, um, you can. You might transition to taking shots at Sunfac if he allows you to, right? But you're, you're really trying to build that endgame scenario. So whatever you start with, you really need to clear off the board um, while threatening Sunfac somehow. Definitely. Um, okay, do we want to move into... Do we, are we going to talk about list building into teching against Sunfac? Uh, I mean, we can, right? So, like, like that's, that's the easiest part, right? I think we already kind of talked about it, but everything we talked about so far should make it clear what the option, the best options are. Um, you know, the, the the one that immediately comes to mind is this problem of if you're moving towards the Nantex, you're going to get tractored. You can directly mitigate that by running a turret and not flying towards it, right? So you can move towards it initially and then, you know, try and fly away, but that's maybe not a great strategy because you're going to get tractored. It's fast. Um, so, you know, it, it's it's really... You know, can you fly things that don't have to approach directly and can take consistent shots, um, you know, leading in on a chase? Uh, 
that I think turrets are huge for this thing. It, fighting turrets with turrets is a pretty good strategy. Yeah, like I, I'd feel. I mean, granted the small bases, but the A wings, like I would say, they have a fighting chance against this thing. They do, but it, you get into this weird situation, right? Where like they initially have to point at him somehow, right? <laughs> so it still makes him vulnerable, depending on how you set that up. And then you have to be, you know, flying away in such a way that he can't just chase you down um, and carve you up. Sure. But but it's it, it definitely helps. Like any time that it's hard to visualize where a ship will be turrets are your friend right because turrets make that less necessary so that's that's one of these situations and in 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 sunfax's case it's sort of like the only safe place is to disengage entirely so there's not many things that can do that and still shoot turrets can yep um one thing i do want to mention on here is bombs um sure so if anyone remembers when fen first came out there was big panic mode like you know he was everywhere and then people kind of like started to figure him out and like he just died and, and i mean we're starting to see proximity mines pop up a little bit more we're starting to see fire sprays pop up um i think like bombs could be like detrimental to this thing especially if, if like mines in general like bombs yeah. i think there's no way that you know it should be like it's going to have aerial denial, but I think mines is really like a big, huge thing towards this. Yeah, it it is and it isn't. I mean, like it, it helps, but the the thing you have to keep in mind is that you know with the turret, it it can you know choose not to go to those areas of the board, right? Yep. Um, so so bombs would definitely be helpful. I think there's certain types of like delayed fuses would make this more achievable. Um, so yeah, that's that's fair. I think one thing before we go too much further with the list building counters is, uh, can we talk about the swarm matchup against Ensnare? Because I think that's an area that we alluded to at the start that's sort of interesting, right? Um, where, you know, I think traditionally people have been looking at this as it deletes aces, but against a swarm, um, because it doesn't have to engage directly, like this bomb thing where it doesn't have to go near where the bombs are, it it, it can it can really mess with the swarm with the side arc, right? In a lot of ways. And then also just the fact that it can move your opponent's ships can cause havoc for a swarm. Um, and it happens to be able to delete something per turn, which is no small thing when you've got a bunch of ships on the board. So I, this is something that I don't know that anyone's explained clearly. I don't have a lot of table time with it. Like I haven't run a swarm a dozen times against an Antex list, but from what I can see so far, it's it's not a counter. It's not on the list building counter um, options as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, like I said, uh, where this kind of... Um, like alludes to is like I feel like it is something that right off the bat is going to be panic and then I think once people start to realize that this thing can die um, like granted it's still going to be very good and it's always going to have probably table space but I, I think at the same time once people start realizing that shooting this thing it will you know it'll blow up like it's going to take damage and it's only got four health and one bad mistake with this ship like is game over for it right it's whether or not they'll make that mistake i guess i guess where i'm going with this is like if we i'll just rattle them off right so we got the turrets i6 moving last big base or medium bases bombs ion turrets anything that can move sideways and shoot so decloaking ships um i'm not i'm not at the point in kind of trying to solve this puzzle that i would put small base swarms on the list of counter options sure like i think i think 
a high number of arcs is good for pinning down a ship like this and doing some of what we described is sort of like occupying all the possible space and offering up a sacrifice while you try to do damage. So that that's there. Um, but I don't view it as like a hard counter, right? Because the Nantex is doing enough things and there are other things in it, in the list with it that, you know, small bases are terrified in all forms. Right. Right. Um, maybe, but mixing elements here, right? Like doing a swarm with some of the elements that we just listed there is probably not the worst option. Yeah, I, I mean, like, I think it's this is a ship that I think is going to definitely change and define the meta a little bit. Like, I think this is going to shake things up. And do I think that needs to be done? I think so a little bit. Like, this might scare off uh, Jedi a little bit more. Like, what? Maybe it's more plausible plausible to bring two Jedi and maybe an arc. Like, there's different things that I think we should start seeing, and this is definitely, like, a meta shaker. So, it, it, it's no question going to change the meta in dramatic ways. Right. Um, but I, I don't... You know you know what I'm saying there, right? Like, the, like the card pool is just small bases. That's the reality. There aren't that many medium and large bases. Um, so, it's, it's not so much shaking up the meta as it's just restricting it to some of what we're talking about here unless there's something we're all missing unless there's some very obvious in-game counterplay with small base ships that i haven't listed so far that is going to be discovered i i don't know what it is though that's it's the struggle is real <laughs> no I, I definitely get that and like maybe that is the hand that ffg kind of wants to like sway right now like maybe they do want to see large base ships have more of a a, a game or more into the game and then Eventually, I think things could even out that, like, with large base ships coming in, then um, you will start seeing other things coming out. Like, it's just kind of the way the world turns, I would say. Kind of, but, like, would you would agree that this is the least elegant way of doing that as <laughs> sure. a developer, right? Uh, like, yes, and, and I'm not saying that, I'm not saying no for the reason that, like, maybe if this ship was different and it was a little bit, okay, if this ship wasn't such an NPE, then I would say that, like, sure. Well, it's even just like if you want big bases to be more relevant, you just reduce their cost. You don't release a card that reduces the viability of every small base in the in the game. Um, it's, there's no logic to that that I can see. Like I, I get the the this shift, the ultimate shift that we'll get will be in a direction towards some in, some potentially interesting things. Like you know, Ray's looking a lot better, right? Um, so there, there are players who like Ray who aren't completely disappointed with this. I don't think. Um, I don't know that I'm ready to say Dengar should be <laughs> no. out on the board. Um, no, he's just going to tractor beam himself to the uh, right side of Dengar, and then it's game over. <laughs> it's right. So I, I, any other list-building counters that we should mention here? Ion's a particularly interesting one because it messes with Jedi too, right? Yep. Leave uh, Jedi alone. We've suffered enough. So when <laughs> not not enough, Brett. Not enough by any measure. <laughs> the the outrage against Ensnare is funny because it probably could have been directed at at some of what Jedi were doing. So looking, uh, it was funny because one of the first things I was looking at when this came out was if I could possibly throw Ion onto something um, to pair up with Sunfac, and I think the only way to really do it is with a. Um, an infiltrator and throwing an ion cannon on him and i don't know if it's worth it but yeah i so if we can if we can kind of wrap this or because i can't stay on too much longer yeah. but to kind of to wrap the discussion up slightly i want to talk about a couple of in-game examples of things that have happened while i was testing um so like the most recent one i 
basically I've got a couple images and we can maybe put them in the show notes, but I, I essentially lined up a perfect block on uh, Brewer, right? And I, I blocked him into a crack shot uh, range one option from Scorch, okay? So this is an I-5. I predicted where he was going to go. I put my I-3 in his way, had that kind of bullseye lined up. It transitioned into essentially a tractor on Scorch and an arc dodge from the thing that had blocked him, right? And then from there, just kind of a range one shot onto something. You guys see that image, right, in the show notes? Yes. So is that kind of odd? Like, like you see what I did with Longshot, right? Like, Longshot was trying to block a three-bank option, and then I tried to block the other bank with the, the other ship. Um, and he, he tractors barrel rolls to the left mm-hmm. so and it, throws the, the token onto to Scorch. Right. So, like, but, okay. th- this is hard for people to visualize listening, but the point yeah, is that I was, I was able to set my ships to block two possible options. What I should have done is just kind of committed to blocking the one. Right, because it, essentially he could have still free banked out and tractored something and caused pain, but there was no payoff for me blocking multiple options. I needed to commit to, you know, the thing that I thought he would screw up, right? And so that that was a lesson. I, I think that's actually, I don't know if it's helpful, but it, it you know, it's that is important fighting this thing is you got to take advantage of the turns that doesn't have tokens you know? and, and just don't overextend, right? Like you were trying to do a little too much maybe and yeah well that's the that's the hard part right is in retrospect like i don't looking back at that turn when i was trying to visualize where he could go i had no idea i he could have five straight passed and deleted kylo (laughs) right in all of my effort to block his his kind of some of his options i left open a flanking maneuver he could have just gotten behind my list um I don't know. It's really hard to like, like overcommitting. Like you could could go slow, right? But then you're guaranteeing a tractor range. It's it's all very tricky. So the the last example I wanted to just talk through was that the double ensnare tricks are are still insane even after the rule change, right? So that that hasn't you know the rule change prevented some of the repositioning of of, of other Nantex, um, and like kind of like moving a ship twice with it with the tractor token. Um, but it's still possible with Brewer to sort of like tractor a ship into range one of Sunfax arc, right? And Sunfax ability procs as long as it has a tractor token, right? It doesn't have to come from Sunfax. Right. So those things are devastating, right? Like as soon as you add two um, two ensnares into the mix, you know, it, it can put any ace into a blender and it, it can do a lot of the, you know, a lot of the same things to a swarm. And it just melts your mind trying to to see the matrix and then realizing there is just no solution to it. Well, yes and no, right? But like, there's pretty much isn't. <laughs> um, like, you can try to get behind the list. That's eventually what you try to do, right? Is you know, like, you accept you're going to have this awful tractor turn where hopefully you trade a little bit, and then after that turn, you're hoping you can five straight and just go away <laughs> and come back. Right. Um, you know, and 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 you know, on the flip side, like. The range three engage. There are a couple of safe sp- safe p- places. If you do like, if you're face on, f- you can do a five straight boost roll, and all that happens is you have to deal with a three dice focus shot, right? But you won't get the tractor. So there there are like kind of gray safe zones um, at various times, but like only a handful of ships have those double reposition options to get there. 
No, that's fine, man. I like basically we got to the end of my yep. couple screenshots, so I'm, I'm hoping that we post the show notes or at least the portion that's related to this. Yeah. Um, and then I just to wrap up and clarify, like, you know, I'm I'm trying to solve this thing in a couple days before I'm not going to have time to practice anymore, right? Um, I'm pretty much done. Like at this point, I've just decided like I know enough um, to try and mitigate some of it. I kind of know what the ships are doing. But any more, I don't think I would solve it any better than just changing my list. Yep. So as far as trying to find in-game counters, I'm pretty much going to kind of let that go for now um, and either make my current list work or change my list. That's that's the conclusion that I came to. Yeah, I think what I said like in the beginning of episode two is about this is one of the things that you need to know what this ship does. Because if you don't know what it does, then it's going to be very hard to... Bounce Even back. if you know what it does, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> but if you don't know what it does, and like, and you, it happens to you, it's going to be very, very hard to bounce back from that. And, and I think if you're going to worlds, you this is something that needs to be on your radar immediately. Right, and it just the only disheartening thing is the more you understand what it does, the more it's obvious when your opponent didn't do what he should have been doing with the list and let go of a very obvious choice. Yeah. Um, so that that's that's kind of what I was talking about before, where, where a lot of the counterplay is dependent on mistakes made by your opponent rather than mistakes that you pressure them into. Although there are some ways to do that. Um, so that that's you know that's the thing though is like even though the matchups are kind of bad, like most people are going to tech against it, and if you've teched against it and you start to use some of these strategies, then you should give yourself at least a fifty-fifty. Um, so on the podcast before, I've talked about, you know, with Jedi, how I, I often will just target lock like 90% of the time. Um, when going against an Antex, just, just I've found that the evade becomes your best friend. I know it's purple. I know it takes a force. But when you're down to just one agility, making sure you get that evade is so crucial with how hard these things can hit. Um, so that's just my tip, I guess. Yep. Yep. And uh you know that's that's fair. Like two agility. If you've got a three agility ship and you're rolling two agility after a tractor, you still have a chance sometimes, right? And that that you want to make sure you have mods for that. Um, that's that's helpful. I uh, I don't know. I, I I think I'm really curious to see how things pan out through worlds and uh, if you know better players than than us kind of figure out anything. Um, a little more you know really the the silver bullet that i'm looking for not silver bullet but so much the like if i could ask someone for advice on this matchup it would be how to reliably beat it with just small bases that's what i want to know right that's what that's what i'm interested in not, not reliable so much as make it at least a 50 50 um against a, a you know reasonable opponent um that that's the thing that i think everyone's searching for and just struggling to find now uh... I think this is something we should at least talk about a little bit is um, one of the things is, is this thing is bidding deep too, isn't it? I mean, granted, it doesn't have to bid that deep with being an I-6 because there's a lot on the table. But I th yep. think at the same time, that is a strategy that people are probably going to be looking at right off the bat. Yeah, the lowest bid I'm seeing is 177 points. That's with uh, Sunfac and uh, Chertex and Grievous, right? I think that list is better suited with Brewer at I-5 because then you get two endgame pieces. Um, but that's still operating in like 100, you know, the mid low eight, 180s range. Um, so, yeah, it, it is going to be at least the trip ace variants can bid quite a lot. Um, the ones that aren't trip aces and have more toys next to it are still a threat. Right. Uh, one thing that we know, right, is that like 
you know, moving after this changes the puzzle quite a lot. Uh, you know, so, so moving after the Nantex, it still has a turret, but it does make it, you know, at least they have to guess something, right? <laughs> They're not trying as hard because they've got the turret, but they, they do still have to guess. So I just can't think of any list in the game that can bid below 183. Or actually, I can. There are a couple. There are a couple of aces lists that could probably bid to that range and still have decent matchups against the field. But do you, do you think people are going to try and outbid it? I I don't I, I don't think. All right, so you do I, that in face sink or swarm. Like, what'd you do with your? You know? Um, uh, so I think people are going to start bidding deep. I I don't know if I, I can't see things going down to like one seventies, but I, I could definitely see like the one eighty five bid coming back around. Um, yeah, in that manner. Oh, I, I left it off the list counters. Um, I am seeing more supernatural. So I know I complained about Precog and I still don't like it, but one of the counters to this is actually just to take Supernatural in a big bid. That does help a lot against the ship with the giant turret bubble. Yep. So, and that's, you know, those lists are aggressively bidding at all times. But, you know, I'm expecting more that people will bid below, like, the, the kitted out versions of these lists. So they'll definitely try to outbid the, the Sunfact plus six. And they'll probably try to go below like the low 190s and, and whenever they can. Cool. I hope you guys found that helpful. Chris probably worked his ass off for that one because uh, I know he's been raging out about it. No. Um, but no, I, I definitely hope everything that we said tonight was helpful. Uh, we're going to post the show notes. I know we talked a little bit about pictures. It uh, should help understand the different like ranges and zones that – uh, the Sunfac and, uh, and Snare basically like can get to. So make sure you check that out. Uh, I'll also be including a GIF for that. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so there's, a, there's a little, there'll be a little video in the show notes too. All right. So if you are going to Worlds, uh, I just want to like make a little bit of news that we have. I mean, if you didn't see it, if you are in, have an invite to the Worlds main event, in order to make the cut, it's going to be seven rounds and you have to at least win five of the seven rounds so anything more than two losses won't make the cut so i mean it's a long tournament it's a long day but i mean it's better than the the five and one or the six and one that we saw in a lot of the system opens um so definitely check that out and then the lcq right now from what we've gathered off of facebook is there's about 325 people registered and what they're kind of estimating is there's about 150 seats that they need to fill. Um, and it's six rounds. So that's kind of interesting. I know, Brett, so it, it looks about that anyone that's four and two is going to make it. And and about a third of the three and threes right. with these numbers are going to get in. So MOV um, is super important on this. I know there's... MOV is yeah, super important for the LCQ and doesn't matter at all for the main event, which is just <laughs> a little ironic. Right. <laughs> Um, so, so Andrew, yeah, yeah. Andrew, so what you mean is they'll they'll take 150 people from the LCQ for the Worlds tournament. Correct. So uh, I know by the time that this episode airs, you probably have already tried, had to have claimed your seat for the Worlds um, before they have the definite number for the LCQ. How many seats they will open up for Worlds? Um, so. Keep an eye on that because, like I said, that's super important. I know you you can still make it if you're going three and three. It looks like it's going to be that way regardless. Um, I know some people are a little bit upset about that. They've expressed that on Facebook. 
but I think at the same time, there, there's a good amount of people coming in outside of the area. Like I know some people were saying that it's all going to be locals, but I, I don't see that. I think there's going to be a lot of people traveling for this. And realistically, the Worlds is the main event, and it's going to even out, I think. Like, even if it is just a bunch of locals, I, I think still it is the biggest event that they have put on. And you know the names that are going to pop up in the cut. So I, I'm a little bit happy with it. It's giving people the opportunity that might not have had the chance to get an invite or might have just missed an invite to, you know, uh, I don't know any names like Brett Freeman. Um, Ouch. <laughs> that have gotten to the final table and just snuck through. Um, but I think this is a really cool idea. Like, I, I, I enjoy it. And, you know, we're going to be there. We're going to have plenty of stuff. Um, we love saying hi to everyone. So definitely check us out. Uh, Brett, do you have anything about that? I, I think it's really exciting. I mean, for the people who are upset about it, that, you know, maybe 150 people are getting through. Think of it like if you have an invite, you have a buy for the first whole day of the tournament. Um, yeah. And you, you, you've made cut number one, essentially. Um, so I, I think it's a it's a great format. I mean. I was so upset when it looked like I wasn't going to be able to go to Worlds. And as soon as they announced LCQ, I immediately made the decision, I'm going. It doesn't matter what happens for the rest of the season now. Uh, I think we have like seven people going to play in the LCQ just from our group alone. Uh, so a ton of people seem to be traveling. And I think it's it's great for everyone. And all the side events they have make it so that, you know, even if you, you don't get past the LCQ or you don't make the cut and get five and two at, at you know, the main event, there's still going to be a ton of X-Wing to play all weekend. And it, it's essentially going to be like a great X-Wing party for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, like I said, I'm happy because it's going to it's going to be a big party the whole weekend, like you said. Um, and I'm happy that, you know, they're making it basically like X-Wing Con. Like, it's everyone that loves the game are the ones that are traveling for this. Like, anyone that probably is just, you know, crapping on the game. I'm sure there's going to be some people, but I mean, like, these are, like, you know, the people that you meet, and I'm sure it's going to be a great time. So I'm really happy that they opened that up to everyone that wants to go, that is able to go to the LCQ at least. Um, And the prizes look amazing. Like, you're going to have stuff to do all weekend. Um, just so a couple upcoming events, the Liberty Squadron Group Championship is going to be on October 12th at Top Deck Games. We are going to get... I was going to say, if you haven't seen the trophies yet, go on Facebook and look. <laughs> They're like the coolest trophies I've ever seen. Yeah. So um, it, it should be a lot of fun. We have different uh, prizes that I'm going to be printing out for everyone. And, you get you know, the trophies are up for grabs. Um, so check that out on the Facebook group page. And then PAX Unplugged tickets have gone on sale. You do need a con badge for that. So the main event is going to be on December 6th. Registration is open at Yeti Games. I think it's like yetigames.com. It's um, something you can find on their, their Facebook page. But the first system open of the season will be at PAX Unplugged. So definitely check that out. It's always a great time. Um, we, we don't have too much more information of like what the prizes or anything like that's going to be. But we just know that the main event is going to be 12-6. And then the hyperspace qualifier is going to be the following day with the cut. So get your tickets there. Um, Patreon members, all the rewards have been sent out. 
they will be coming to your door any second now. Thank you for your patience. I wanted to get those extra tokens in there for you guys. So I threw a little bit extra in there for each of the different rewards. Um, and stay tuned. I'm going to have a bunch of new items and tokens coming in your thank you notes. Uh, we have some new toys to play with. So like I said, keep, you know, keep tuned and you're going to be showered with acrylics and all that fun stuff. If you're not a Patreon member, check us out on patreon.com and, you know, subscribe, help support the show. Like I said, everything that, you know, that comes through basically goes back to you guys. So check that out there. And I want to thank everyone for listening. I hope this episode was super helpful and I hope you guys have a great night.